Welcome to Read By, where today's finest authors read what matters to them, from their homes to yours. In this episode, Chris Krauss reads from The Executioner's Song by Norman Mailer. To learn more from Krauss about her choice, check out the episode description. And now, Read By, Chris Krauss. Hi, I'm Chris Krauss, and I'm going to read from The Executioner's Song, a documentary novel about Gary Gilmore, the first person to be executed in the U.S. since the reinstatement of the death penalty in 1976. Gilmore, who in fact fought for his execution by firing squad and won, and was executed on January 17, 1977, after his um, improbable case turned all forms of reasonable discourse about civil rights and human rights into a conundrum. Newman Mailer's brilliantly written, meticulously researched book was published in 1979, and it received a Pulitzer Prize. Um, this is from Chapter 13. It's called The White Truck. About the time Max Jensen was starting work at the Sinclair gas station, Gary Gilmore was in the showroom in VJ Motors on State Street about a mile away, coming to terms with Val Conlon about the truck. There wasn't going to be a co-signer after all. Gary was going to turn over his Mustang, on which he'd already paid close to $400 if he gave him credit for the battery and ignored the windshield, and he would produce another 402 days cash. Then he would come up with another $600 by the 4th of August. Val would let him make the transfer now, and he could sign the papers tonight. Rusty Christensen could hear them talking and had to smile. She'd come in to work part-time on the books, reconcile Val's bank account, get license plates, and in general, help. She knew some of the ropes by now. Rusty's unspoken opinion was that the truck had to be disgustingly overpriced. It was selling for $1,700, and with interest would come to $2,300. Val probably hadn't paid 1000 for that carcass. Now he would have the Mustang to resell, plus 1000 in cash by the first week of August. Otherwise, he would repossess the truck. He wasn't taking that big a chance. Gary could sh- sure have found something better for the money than this white angel with 100,000 miles on her. He'd fallen in love with a paint job. Now, Rusty watched Conlon tell Gilmore one more time that he, Val, had an extra set of keys with which to make sure Gary would walk if the money wasn't there. It was the same pep talk. Val would make a good coach for a team of mental defectives. Get the money, Gary, said Val as the truck drove away. Sterling was taken for a ride and Gary was talking pretty proud. His new engine had a lot more power than the Mustang. For sure the acceleration was better. Gary didn't abuse it, though. Drove it like a Cadillac, trundled it for a while. Then they went tooling up the highway. It was moving toward dark when Catherine saw him. Some of her family had come over that day. The cherry trees were ripe in the yard, and her mother and a couple of her brothers and sisters were still out with the kids picking fruit, while Catherine's friend Pat was with her in the kitchen. At that point, Gary came to the back door and said, Could I talk to you outside? Catherine invited him in, but he kept saying, I have to talk to you outside. It's important. She went out and took a look at the truck, oohed and odd. He looked odd to Catherine, not drag exactly, but made a point of telling her how sober he was. In fact, she couldn't smell alcohol on his breath. He did seem odd, however. She said no, she hadn't seen Nicole. He said, as far as I'm concerned, she can go to hell. Then he looked at Catherine like some nut in him was being tightened right off the threads and said, she can get fucked. That really shocked Catherine. She could hardly believe Gary would use such words for Nicole. Then he looked at her in that way he had of getting into every little thought you might like to keep to yourself and said, Catherine, I want my gun back. 
Gary, she managed to answer, I don't like to give it to you. Not the way you're acting. He said, I'm in trouble. I gotta have it. I've got all the guns back now but three. A cop knows, you see, that I done the robbery. She had the feeling Gary was making it up. This cop told me if I get the guns back to the store, nothing will happen. Catherine said, Gary, why don't you come back tomorrow and pick it up when you're sober? He said, I'm not drinking and I'm not going to get in trouble. Moreover, if I want to use a gun, he pulled his jacket open. This little baby takes care of it all. That was one pistol she recognized. A real German Luger stuck in his pants. In addition, he said, I got a sack full. At that point, he opened the truck door and a burlap bag tipped over. By the clanking, it sounded like it held half a dozen more guns. Catherine said to herself, what does it matter? She took the special out from under the mattress and gave it to him and stood with Gary in the twilight trying to calm him down. He was so angry. Then April came running out of the house. She was close to hysterical. Where's Pat, she asked. Where's Pat? She's gone, April, Catherine said. Oh, cried April. Pat promised to take me down to Kmart to get my guitar string. At this point, Gary said, I'll run you over. Quickly, Catherine told her, you don't need to go. But April jumped in the truck, and Catherine barely had time to repeat, Gary, she don't need to go, when he replied, that's all right, I'll bring her back. They were gone. It was in this moment that Catherine realized she didn't know Gary's last name. Knew him as Gary, just Gary. They sat in the kitchen among all the boxes of cherries they'd picked. Catherine wasn't about to call the cops. If the police stopped Gary, he might open up on them. Instead, she waited till Pat got back and went out with her to look for the white truck. They drove till one or two in the morning going up and down roads. No way were they going to find him, it seemed. April moved in close, turned on the radio and said, It's hard to get along if you have to wait too long. The rooms get narrow, and very often there is a dog. She began to shiver as she thought of the dog. Every day, she said, is the same. It's all one day, and nodded her head. You have to get them used up. That's right, he said. Before he arrived, she'd been lying in the grass, watching others pick cherries. She was playing the guitar with a broken string. It came over her that Grandmother was going to die if she didn't fix the string. April was letting her soul run wild as she played, and thought of Jimi Hendrix and Otis Redding dead, and that made her start thinking hard about diseases. Bugs, spiders, and flies bring it in, and the fevers give a humming sound until they're aroused, and then they make a noise like a breaking string. Death would certainly come to Grandma if she didn't fix the string. That was her thought in the grass. As she looked up, there was a dog in front of her. This dog started crying. It sounded like a man crying his heart out. The recollection of the tragedy of that sound got April nodding full force in Gary's truck. She didn't like such feelings. When she nodded that way, she might just as well have been galloping on a horse. Her head was certainly being snapped each step the horse came down. It got to the point where her personal motor turned on again, as if Satan was running her body and pulling in all the people who usually floated around as personalities from Mars and Venus. The black man was staring at her with his cold black eye, and the white man had started acting like he was ecstasy in the worst way in the entire galaxy. The guitar needed a new string to attract more harmonious spirits. I, said April to Gary, am the one swinging on that string. She nodded, careful not to do it so hard that the galloping horse would snap her neck. Look, she said, my grandma's washing machine is next to the sewer. That's why those people are floating around. I hate filth. She could feel her mouth twisting from her nostril to the corners of her lips. Oh, Gary, I'm cottonmouth, she said. I need Midal. Can you get me a toothbrush? She could feel him patting her. He said he would get her what she needed.
it was crucial to put it across to people that you didn't go to a store and pull things from the counter, but take a good look at the object you were going to buy and inquired of it. There were all sorts of answers. The object could say, go away, or please steal me. It could even ask to be bought. The objects had as much concern about themselves as anyone else. Gary just went plink, plink, plonk and got her mind all, got her toothbrush, got her the hell out of there. He wasn't drinking beer. Boy, he was uptight. Now they were driving in Pleasant Grove again. I don't want to go home. I want to stay out all night, she said. That's cool, he said. Nine Two Wise Read By is produced and commissioned by New York's Nine Two Y Unterberg Poetry Center, a home for live readings and literature for over 80 years. To invite more authors into your home, subscribe to Nine Two Wise Read By wherever you download podcasts. If you're able, please visit 92y.org slash help now to donate to support Nine Two Y and our new digital programming. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Find more great recordings at 92y.org slash redby.